Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the ASHP Practice Journeys podcast. This podcast invites members to share their professional path, lessons learned, and how their experiences shaped who and where they are today and their communities. My name is Justin Colshaw. I'm a PGY2 pharmacy resident in critical care at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. Here with me is Dr. Angelica Burney, Director of Specialty Pharmacy and Clinical Ambulatory Pharmacy Services at Baptist Health South Florida in Miami. Today, we're going to be discussing lessons learned in caring for the Hispanic Latinx population. Thanks for joining me today, Angelica. Thanks for having me. Well, let's kick this off with a little about your background and career. Sure. So I am Cuban Italian. My father was born in Italy and my mother was born in Cuba. My parents moved to the United States pretty early on um, in their uh, careers, um, not really starting off too much in their respective areas. But when they came to the United States, they really didn't know much English. Um, My mom, my aunts, my uncles, my abuela, my abuelo, which are my grandparents, ended up establishing their home in Connecticut up in New England. Um, where at the time when they first migrated there, there really wasn't a large Latino presence. Um, They worked hard to really learn the English language. Um, They had to create really a new lifestyle for them. They spoke Spanish in the home. Spanish um, for my mom was her first and primary language still is today. But outside of the home, she had to work really, really hard to assimilate into school and really learn just quickly what was the new norm there in, in Connecticut for them. I grew up hearing stories of how they had to adapt to the new environment and many of the struggles that they went through. They still talk about it to this day, you know, when we have our family gatherings and we just get to all um, get together. My grandparents drilled really perfection though and instilled a lot of the benefits of working hard into my mom. And even uh, us as kids, um, when they would watch us, they made sure that it was very visible that if you work hard, you're gonna get far in life. My mom started her career in environmental services. Cleaning the bathrooms of a hospital was one of her first jobs when she came here. She is so dedicated to her career. She went to school on the weekends and evenings while still supporting her family. She worked um, you know, endlessly. She received her degrees and now she worked all of her way up to be a, C-C- a C-suite executive um, within a healthcare system. So I say that all because for her, it wouldn't be possible without family. Um, And that's why you're going to hear a lot, this common theme, you know, in a little bit of my background about my mom. So my mom comes from a very large Cuban family. She was one of five. And my abuela, which is my grandmother, was um, one of 13. So being in such a large family, it may seem that it's not easy to know what's happening, what's going on with everyone. It's hard to keep in contact or, you know, all in different parts, maybe the United States. However, that's not the case in our household. Um, Everyone is extremely close. Everyone knows everything. If so-and-so said something, our family knows we have group chats and really what we have been able to really instill it in my family even is just that family always comes first and our family is always involved in everything. Um, Everyone supports one another. If there's a will, there's a way. Her family pushed her, you know, to be better, to do better. And when my parents came to America, they, you know, when my grandparents came, they came to really establish a new life for her and her siblings. So I learned this very early on from my parents. And even to this day, I had to make sure that I found a partner who knew that they weren't just marrying me, that they were marrying my family. And and it might be a joke, even my friends say, you know, they know my aunts, they know my uncles, and that may not be the case that's happening everywhere, um, you know, today. And some of my friends, I may have not even heard of an uncle or aunt, but I say that to kind of elaborate a little bit the story of the importance of family. 
So when I told my family that I wanted to start a career in pharmacy, they couldn't be more proud. No one in our family was clinical. This was new. This was exciting. They felt that they had this doctor now that they were going to be able to ask questions to and that this person was going to be able to help them with their health care, something a little bit foreign to the majority of them. So I went to pharmacy school in South Florida, completed that. During my time, though, there, I realized administration and leadership was becoming a strong interest of mine. I think it came with a lot of mentorship um, with some of the individuals I met along the way in pharmacy school, but also really seeing how my mom worked so hard and, and the person that she had become while starting from nothing and, and building this, in a sense, little empire for her family herself. So um, I was able then to match and complete a PGY1, PGY2 health system pharmacy administration residency at the University of Kansas. And while I was at Kansas, I met one of my other mentors who helped me identify my passion of ambulatory care pharmacy. Um, it's a joke at the time I, you know, wasn't really open to it. I always was focused on inpatient operations and, you know, I was given this opportunity, which ended up being the best decision that was, I ever could have made because it really has been a true passion of mine, being able to have that patient level care and making those, um, those imp that impact on those patients um, more in real time. I couldn't stay away though from family too long. Um, so after my residency in Kansas, I went ahead and found myself back in South Florida and I kickstarted my career as a clinical manager at a specialty pharmacy down here in the Fort Lauderdale area. I was then given an opportunity shortly after to join a new healthcare system um, down here at Baptist Health South Florida, down in Miami and now currently serve as our director of specialty pharmacy and our clinical ambulatory pharmacy service line. In my current role today, um, I support our specialty pharmacy, which includes our call center. I also support our clinical ambulatory pharmacy services. So that includes pharmacists that are in our cardiology and primary care clinics, and then our medication assistance team for our entire system, which ranges our 11 um, hospitals and clinics. Baptist headquarters are in Miami. So we do have institutions um, all the way up from the Florida Keys um, to Palm Beach County. But the majority of the patient population that we really service is Hispanic and that Latino um, patient population. So I'm really excited to have this conversation and kind of talk through the importance of caring for this patient population. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing so much about your family and, and your career to date. That's a really inspiring story. It resonates with me particularly. Uh, I empathize a lot with your mom having such amazing perseverance and really making her way in healthcare. Personally, my grandparents on my mom's side, I'm Puerto Rican, and my grandparents came from Puerto Rico, and it was a bit of a classic story of they only had, you know, a few dollars in their pocket and came on a plane and built my mom and her family of five. Amazingly, we were able to support all five of their children through college. My mom becoming a pediatric nurse in Beth Israel Medical Center in New York, where she met my dad, who was a, a pharmacist there as well. But I really empathize with that perseverance, both that, I mean, i felt with my grandparents and that are luckily still here today inspire me all the time and my mom and all of her siblings from you know really rising up and becoming exemplary members of their communities and professionals both in and out of healthcare a little bit more about my background outside of my family obviously very inspired in terms of healthcare from both my parents and I graduated pharmacy school from the University of Rhode Island and then I came and completed my first year postgraduate residency at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, and now I'm staying on uh, for my critical care PGY2. So very excited to see um, as my career goes forward where I end up and taking that perseverance and all of the awesome things our families have given both of us uh, yeah. forward in, in practice. 
So moving on to the next topic, I, I just wanted to hear more about your personal experience in terms of caring for the Hispanic population and how you think pharmacists specifically play a role in providing for this community. Absolutely. So our team at Baptist cares for Hispanic patients all day, every day. Um, we see patients that are in clinics. We do telephonic, telehealth, phone calls, follow-ups, periodic check-ins, you name it. Um, I personally am a caregiver for my mom and my grandmother as well. So I'll probably talk a little bit more from that perspective as that is a little bit more, I think, relatable and I can give a little bit deeper dive into how I think we can make a bigger impact in the community. So pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, I used to go to every doctor appointment for anyone that was almost in my family, specifically again for my mom and my grandma. And it was my job to update the family in our group chat with the health updates. I have access to all of their medical records, their my charts, whatever that might be, and messages um, from all their various doctors. My parents would make sure, and, and specifically my even my grandmother, can, can Angelica go to the, the doctor's appointment? If not, I have to reschedule. So that's kind of that mentality that they had to make sure that at least they always had that caregiver and that extra person there with them. The doctors always know who I am, will often speak to me so that this way I can either relay the information to my grandmother or help, you know, try to, you know, relay that information in a better way, maybe to my mom or someone else who may not know all the clinical terminology that's being told to them, depending on the care that's given. Um, my mom was diagnosed with lymphoma when um, I was in pharmacy school, but we, we chuckle about this now, you know, at the time, the only concern wasn't if my mom was going to be okay, but were my grandparents going to be okay, her parents, because everyone is so vested in everyone's care in my family that if one person is sick, we're all sick. If we're all hurting, we're all feeling it. When we got that diagnosis, I was tasked with sitting down with everyone, having the conversations and explaining what that meant and what you know we could expect and what does that look like and how, how we can be supportive to, to my mom and to, to the other folks that might be impacted by this. And I think you know we see that a lot even in our field, that family is oftentimes very, very involved. And I think making sure that we understand when they are involved to include them because it's so crucial for the patient's journey. My family, I know, would not be successful or as successful if we didn't incorporate family into their care. When it comes to looking at it from the pharmacy perspective, I think pharmacists play a major, major role in caring for this population. Patients heavily rely on the pharmacist. I know that my grandmother says, oh, I'm going to go to Walgreens. My pharmacist can explain this to me. Pharmacists are so easily accessible. Even in the healthcare systems today, you're always most likely going to see a pharmacist that's rounding um, with a a team that can maybe ask some questions or dive a little deeper into the medications. With the Hispanic population, at least for my family, making sure that we ask about herbal supplements. You know, my, my grandma's on almost every herbal supplement possible um, and making sure that we understand that it's not just, you know, are you on this medication? Yes, yes, yes. It's asking a little bit differently the questions just to get the right and full answer. And a lot of times pharmacists too, I think can provide that one-on-one -on -one time that's needed with these patients. Additionally, pharmacists can really educate patients and help identify barriers. I know when we're talking in our teams and working in the field, we want to make sure that we're identifying barriers when it comes to communication, when it comes to financial barriers. Um, just because a patient might say, yes, I understand, they may not understand the true complexity and the process of things that are going to start evolving once a new diagnosis is given or a new medication may be started. So our team specifically, um, and myself, I think a big portion of our role as pharmacists is a big piece is coordination of care and making sure that we incorporate that family, if, if appropriate, into that care of the patient. I also think making sure that we're listening, asking questions, and making sure that the patient understands what they're being told 
it seems something so simple, but it's so crucial and can mean everything really to the patient. So I think that's a little bit my experience in dealing with the patient population. You got a little bit about my work and a little bit then also about my personal with my grandma and my family. I, I completely empathize with helping grandparents with medication wrecks at, at home or before or after holiday dinners, going through med lists and trying to help them out with different questions they have from a different perspective, more on the inpatient side, where I am in the ICUs primarily, the, the point you made about care coordination, I feel couldn't be more true, especially the patients I see often, you know, critically ill, oftentimes we're trying to deal and explain to family members what might be going on when patients aren't able to express that for themselves. I'm updating family and care and understanding the process, making shared decision-making decisions together. And I really like a lot of what you said, especially, I think, putting in my own words, I often think of pharmacy as the face of healthcare for a lot of these patients, both on the inpatient side and outpatient side. And a lot of these complex topics, you know, at the first pass, especially new diagnoses, new medication regimens, it's, it's very difficult to absorb all at once, especially when there's things like a language barrier or a cultural, cultural barrier. So the role of the pharmacist stepping in in both those settings to explain those things is really invaluable. And having the, the time and the expertise to really go through not just the bigger picture of new disease states or medication regimens, but the alteration to their day-to-day -day life and understanding how this new medication regimen is going to fit into what their new day-to-day -day lifestyle will be, you know, where they're coming to the table with their own experiences and fitting that in. I think that transitions very well into the next topic I wanted to speak about, which is a gaps in current practice. And I think we could probably both admit that we've noticed gaps here and there between providers and patients, and some of which I think have been exasperated by the COVID-19 pandemic issues with communication expectations of the patient immediately jump to mind. Are there any specific gaps that you've noticed in your practice? And that could be either pre-pandemic or currently. Yeah, um, absolutely. Unfortunately, I think there are gaps that kind of stem from even before the pandemic, but I think this pandemic has really brought to light that we're seeing a lot of a lot more issues when it comes to communication. Um, many provider offices moved to these telehealth visits to continue to provide services and still be a resource for patients during the pandemic to try to assist and alleviate a lot, you know, a lot of the crowded offices and making patients still feel comfortable to have that visit, maybe just not in person. In South Florida, we have a large Hispanic population, but what we also have on top of that is a large elderly patient population. Several of our elderly patients struggle with technology and like to just have that in-person experience. You know, even when we do a telephone, uh, a telephone follow-up or telehealth type follow-up, they're like, oh, let me just come in and talk to you. It's just easier. That's what we're seeing a lot, at least in our day-to-day. -day. So having to make that switch where now we're not allowing visitors, we're not allowing, you know, that in-person care and touch that's so important, especially to certain um, cultures can really have an impact, I think, and, and kind of exacerbate the gaps that we're seeing. I'm gonna go back again to my grandmother. So she's a Hispanic elderly patient. She doesn't speak, you know, much English today. So when she's at the doctor, you know, and she's a very anxious type person, but she, when she's being told something, she just nods and she smiles. But 
Why? It's not because she's happy and just so happy to see, be talking to someone. I'm sure she is, but deep down, you know, she's mentioned she's anxious. She doesn't want to bother anyone, ask more questions. She, she just wants to, she knows the doctors are busy. She says, doctors are busy. I, you know, I want to make sure that I, I'm respectful of their time. So that right there, if we just see someone that's nodding and smiling, we may easily interpret that that might be that they're accepting something and okay with it or comprehending when really, if we're not having that in-person touch, that gap might be a little bit bigger because now if it's something on the phone, you can't see that person smiling and they may just say, yes, yes, yes. That's something my grandmother will do. Yes, yes, yes. That is why, again, our family is heavily involved in a lot of the care of, of, our, of, of my grandmother and of our other family members. When I talk to patients and when we even talk to our team members, we always try to coach them and, and try to really identify what those gaps are and what are some of those barriers. And I think you mentioned that too, you know, a little bit earlier and seeing how we can overcome them and trying to adapt, right? And adaptability is, I think, also something you mentioned. I think we need to be able to see, okay, is this patient, you know, understanding what we're saying? Are we going to have to use different methods to kind of validate what's being said? because we are seeing definitely gaps. I think communication, again, is going to be that biggest one that we are seeing today, along with many others. But I, I really honestly think that understanding patients' language comfort, I think tailoring education is going to help try to alleviate and trying to really close those gaps a little bit more. I always use a teach back method. We learned it in pharmacy school, learned it in residency. And it's, you know, I think vital because if I have someone that's just nodding yes, or maybe on the phone or a telehealth or, you know, even again, pre-pandemic, they're just in the office nodding and smiling. I want to make sure that they're truly understanding. And that's one way to kind of close that gap. Um, I'll have, you know, my grandmother, grandmother explain to me, okay, what did, what did the doctor just say? Okay. How are you going to take this medication? If I'm explaining something to her and we do it even with our patients, again, everyone's a little bit different in how they're able to interpret in their comfort level. So I think asking those questions, encouraging interpreter services, if necessary, making sure we're not just assuming, but really asking questions. Also in the Spanish language, making sure they use the right, correct, use the correct verbiage. There's been instances where my Spanish, my verbiage is not the best. And sometimes, you know, I may sound some, say something that sounds a little different and the patient will tell me, I think you mean it this way. So I think it's just so important to just be open and be transparent and um, really understanding the culture that you're working with. And again, down here in South Florida, many times and oftentimes it's that Hispanic Latino patient population. Another thing too is, you know, Hispanics, uh, at least in my experience, like to be called Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so by, you know, their last name. So making sure that I'm cognizant of that and teaching the team, hey, make sure, see how their family is also responding to them or how other folks like to be responded to and asking them, do you mind if I call you A, B, and C, or do you prefer I call you Mrs. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so? I think those are other ways to also help close those gaps so that the patients feel comfortable because now we're in a very uncertain time with the pandemic care is, is, is unique. We're tailoring, we're trying to find what our new normal is. You know, I don't know if there's ever going to be a time where we go back to how it used to be. I think telehealth is definitely part of our new way of, of treatment and, and, and follow-up for these patients. So I think making sure that we understand what those gaps are, ask questions and try to find ways to definitely close those gaps. It's going to be what makes us really, really successful and important in patient care. Yeah, I can definitely echo a lot of the gaps you identified of what I've seen in my own practice. I think the point that you made about the culture and the Hispanic Latinx community, especially that exactly what you described, the humility and wanting to say yes, be respectful of the doctor's time, but especially in, and again, I'm speaking from the inpatient side with providers having so much burnout, such overwhelming 
patient census and, and workload. And to have a patient that you're counseling nodding along might see that as a quick, oh yes, they're understanding, great. And now I can move on and get to the other million things I have to do. But that patient might've really benefited from taking extra time, having interpreter services. If in person, if you're able to drawing diagrams for medication regimens, things like that to really make sure that they understand the regimen and very realistically helping prevent readmissions and that patients are are able to stay adherent and be informed. So we're touching on this understanding of different cultural norms within the Hispanic Latinx population and having that basic competency can be so beneficial when caring for different communities, not just the Hispanic Latinx community. And in my experience, there are many positive attributes held within the Hispanic community that can have positive effects on patient outcomes. Things like the strong sense of community we've talked about, different patients having that strong family base to support their medication regimens, look out for each other like we are with our own respective families. Patients in this community having really exemplary perseverance and adaptability from much of what they've experienced in life. And those are all great things that I feel like can contribute to them being active advocates for themselves and active members of the healthcare team as patients, as participants in their own care plans. Uh, What do you think about different parts of the culture of the Hispanic community and how they might be active participants in their own care plans? Yeah, I I mean, echo exactly what you said. I think many people, and that's what we want, is we want patients to be active participants, and we want their families, if that is important to them, to know that and make sure that we incorporate them into their care. I always look at it from the patient journey, right, and making sure that if a new medication is started, are we factoring in everything? Are we looking out, you know, for the patient? Are we looking out for making sure we include their family member? So I think, let's say we're starting a patient on a new medication, First thing I'm going to say, look at it. Okay. Is usually a mother or someone always involved or someone else involved in the care of this patient or a sibling or whoever that might be. Do we need to loop them in? Do you want me to call them? Should we, so that they can hear what's going on, kind of talking through to make that patient comfortable. But I think also having that basic competency and, and just making sure that we're caring for that community is going to be reflective in the care that we provide. So those family-centered values, family-centered care just in general has a major impact. No question, you know, really is going to be silly when you, when you ask the patient if, if when it comes to patient care, at least in my family, and I'm speaking from my personal experience. Um, if there's a, a battle and obstacle we have to reach, we're going to tackle it together. You know, no one's doing anything on their own. We see this happen in practice today. You know, if I'm supporting or assisting with our refill programs and our teams, oftentimes we're not just working with the patient, we're working with their entire family. So I think that looking at the benefit of including them and seeing the positive outcomes that we could have with better adherence and and better understanding and, you know, having them being involved, we're going to see the the outcomes that we're hoping to see with these patients. So I think, you know, you're, you're pretty spot on and I have to agree with that. It's There's a lot that we should really consider and make sure that we're taking the time to ask these questions and incorporate into our daily daily care with these patients. Definitely. So with all this in mind, how do you think we can empower our pharmacist colleagues when they're caring for different patient populations? 
Yeah, I think the best thing is never to assume um, and ask questions. I think cultural competence is going to evolve, evolve over time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen with just one patient. So I think constantly evaluating, you know, who are our patients we're serving, kind of doing the research. If you're moving to a new location or a new area, what is, you know, the main patient population that's in that area? Down in Miami, we know that there's a large Hispanic Latino patient population. I also think being open to learning um, is another way that we can make sure that we're giving the proper care to our patients. And that's a lifelong process. We're learning every day something new. There's new drugs, there's new ways to handle things and just new ways to just treat patients. So I think that's definitely a few ways. Some other things too are identifying those barriers. We talked about gaps before and seeing that, you know, the pandemic brought around a lot of these, what I see, and I consider a lot of communication type gaps, and it's hard to have those verbal cues. So if we're able to identify barriers, whether that's knowledge, whether that's fear that patients are seeing, they're uncertain, maybe it's even financial barriers and having to incorporate more of that coordination of care as well. I think by asking those questions, identifying those barriers as pharmacists, we're able to make a huge difference and really care for the different populations that we see today. No um, patient population is the same. No, no two people are the same. So I think just being adaptable and, and just open to wanting to learn is going to be the best way that we can help our patients. I couldn't agree more. I think both of us have practice sites that allow us a lot of exposure to a diverse community. You in Miami and myself in Cincinnati, a very diverse population coming to the academic level one trauma center. Um, and I think even for pharmacists practicing in areas that don't have as much exposure to diverse patient populations, I mean, in general, embracing diversity, whatever your community might be, and also amongst pharmacist colleagues and not just embracing, but celebrating. And that way, you know, no matter what area you practice, when coming across different patients from different populations, approaching it with the attitude of acceptance and celebrating their culture and making that patient feel that much more welcome and that much more like they are being seen and truly respected and that you can immediately have that rapport. There doesn't have to be some sort of cultural barrier unspokenly manifested and a, a barrier when trying to make a real connection with the patient. So to close out our discussion, is there anything else you think our audience should keep in mind when caring for the Hispanic Latinx community? Any final tidbits of wisdom from your experiences? You know, I know we've talked a lot about, you know, the, my personal experience, talking about my role and, and with my family, but I think the big, and that's just one story, but I think the biggest tidbit of advice is just to be open-minded and putting the patient first, which as pharmacists we do, but really understanding what are their needs as well. So by being adaptable, understanding their needs and kind of tailoring how we approach the patient, I think is the best way to care for for the Hispanic patient population. As I mentioned, not everyone or everyone in every group is the same. So what works for one group may be different for another and maybe even one person to another. I think asking questions, just being open to learning as we talked about, you know, I think that's that's gonna be crucial. Me personally, I, I mean, I think of my Awella, what would Awella do? What would Awella say right now? And I think of them, if I'm talking to a patient, if I can see there's some potentially some similarities maybe and thinking that nod or smile is not just her smiling and thinking, oh, what a nice person. That nod or smile might be, they're unsure, they're scared and they don't wanna bother me. So learning that and, and kind of identifying those cues to be able to ask more questions, I think. But overall, I think if we are able to start learning more about these challenges, be open to it, it'll help us navigate many of the barriers that we see today 
and I think really provide great patient care. That's great. I couldn't agree more. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, speaking to someone who's as passionate about this topic as I am. And I'm definitely coming away from this conversation even more excited to jump back into patient care. So I'm hoping our audience feels the same way. And thank you so much, Angelica, for sharing all your thoughts. Thank you, Justin. I really appreciate the conversation and discussion today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.